0: Today I'll be looking at Romans 9, 13 through 24. Um, Before reading that, uh, when I was in seminary, my Gospels professor said something to us at the beginning of the semester before we were going to dive into the four Gospels, and I'll never forget what he said. It was a statement that was very sobering, and it was something like this. Uh, We are about to study the life, death, resurrection, and... Words and teaching of Jesus when we are finished, you will not be the same, you will either be softened by the word or hardened by it, but you will not remain the same. And it was very sobering, it was a sense in which, um, this was not just some study, this was not just some game and, um, some neutral, uh. Academic exercise that we would be confronted with the word, and that confrontation would have one of two effects and that thought of softening and hardening, I think in a sense comes from Romans nine and so that's where I want to look today. This is a passage that is devastating um this whole chapter it's so devastating that uh, many ministers have been known to skip over it as they preach through Romans um, in fact, some jump from Romans eight over to Romans 11 and pick up there, (laughs) or Romans 8 to 10. Uh, Picking up in verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. He will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? The thing moulded will not say to the moulder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump into from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, being willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So there's a lot there, but really what I want to focus in on this is this aspect of softening or hardening, or as it is contrasted in the text, he has mercy on whom he desires, he hardens whom he desires, And it shows that there's just two options when it comes to how God works in human souls. And one option is mercy and the other is hardening. And so likewise, the work of God in our soul will manifest itself in one of two ways. We will either be softened or we will be hardened. There's no third option. The vehicle is either going to be going forward or in reverse, but it's not going to be sitting there neutral, going neither forward nor backward. There's no static position when it comes to God, Christ, and the Word of God. There's not any nonchalant indifference. When people hear about Christ, they will either be softened or hardened. When people hear the Word of God, they will either be softened or hardened but they're not going to be unmoved. I think in um, the book of Acts, we see uh, that in Paul's preaching and the reaction he got in the synagogues. Acts nineteen eight through nine gives one example of that. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, Speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So some were softened and some were hardened. And then when the hardened people began to blaspheme, he took the softened ones away and spoke to them separately. In Romans eleven seven through 8, speaking of the Jews, uh, what then what Israel is seeking and has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. So some obtain the favor of salvation, others are hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. Um, in Hebrews three, twelve through thirteen, it says, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um Acts eighteen, five through six, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, and Paul began devoting himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Um, You see the same thing in Acts 17. You see the same thing in Acts 28. At the very end of the book, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And he Uh, calls Jews uh, to this house where he's under house arrest and they come to hear him. Uh, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him in his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. So there's that softening and hardening. Oh, when we think of hardening, what does that mean? Uh, Scripture tells us in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and it also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Well, from the divine perspective, we know that God is not the author of sin, so this is not God putting sin in Pharaoh's heart so that he will be stubborn. Um, He's not putting sin in there. Uh, The sin is already there. Um, Pharaoh's heart can be easily hardened, actually, by simply commanding him what to do. Pharaoh is the epitome of human pride and arrogance. He thinks he's God on earth. No one tells Pharaoh what to do. You tell Pharaoh what to do, and you're going to be drawn and quartered. And so Pharaoh, as are all dictators, they're surrounded by yes men who tell them exactly what they want to hear. And if someone dares to tell Pharaoh what to do, he will be hardened by that. No question about it, unless mercy is sent from God to overwhelm his pride. But God doesn't have to give that mercy. Mercy belongs to God as his possession to give or not give. Mercy cannot be obligatory. If it is, it's not mercy. It's a wage. So God has mercy on whom he has mercy. He commands Pharaoh to let his people go. And God had a right to do that. They are his people, not Pharaoh's. So he commanded Mr. God in his own mind, Pharaoh, through a weak servant named Moses, who would have been contemptible in the eyes of Pharaoh, how dare you even speak to me uh, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God did not give Pharaoh the necessary mercy that it would take for him to humbly receive orders from Moses or anyone else. So the result is quite predictable. He hardened himself against this outrageous suggestion Uh, that he let the Israelites go, and he was hardened. And then with each successive repeat of the command, let my people go, followed by yet another plague, he was hardened further and further until in the end he was destroyed. His whole country, his army, the firstborn sons, everything. And so we see in all of these passages and in this Principle in Romans 9 that it there really is only two options. And with respect to our response to God, there is only two options and two possibilities. We are either softened by our exposure to the Lord and by our exposure to the Word of God, or we are hardened. Uh, We will not remain neutral. God has commanded us. He's commanded us to repent of our sins, to put away our idols, to seek Him first in His kingdom, uh, to return to our first love, to do the deeds we did at first, and so on. And we will either soften to those commands and yield to Him, rendering obedience or we will stiffen our neck and refuse. And when Christ points his finger right at the security blanket we're clutching, as he did with the rich young ruler, and he says, that thing right there, give that to me. We will either soften to that command, pry our fingers loose from the blankie, And hand it over to him. Or we'll stiffen our necks. Clutch tighter. And step. A step back further away from him. Softening or hardening. One or the other. And it's a very sobering thought. That we will not remain neutral. That we're not just going to go away unmoved. Unmoved that there will be one of these two effects. And the thing about revival seems to be that there is this marvelous power of melting and softening that goes on such that it's like, you know, the frigid ice uh, of winter and the sun coming up and the warmth of spring and everything melts. And then God's people are yielded up and surrendered to him as never before. So as we uh, go to the Lord in prayer now, and as we continue uh, to pray for revival, I pray that the Lord would soften us and uh, give us his tender mercies to melt us so that we not become even more hardened with his overtures.